What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Show Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. I often start a book with a trio of concerns. First is an emotional issue that's currently important to me. Next is the kind of story I want to finally, I pick a setting that interests me and supports the first two elements. These are the revealing words of today's guest, author John E. Diff. Namaste. John E. Stead, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Hello, and thanks for having me. Yes, John, it's a pleasure. John, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes, and we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, John? I'd like a cappuccino, please. Okay, coming right up. And here you go. Enjoy. Thank you. John, what I read was part of an interview you did with CompulsiveReader.com on how you start to write a book. One of the things is, as you say, an emotional issue that's currently important to me. What exactly do you mean by that, and why is it so important? Uh, well, I, you know, books are about humans, human emotion, uh, and that for me is, is a good hook, a good starting point for a story. Uh, at one point in my life, I was uh, 
uh, you know, a friend of mine was had attempted suicide and not completed it, uh, and so that issue was on my mind. Uh, another phase of my life when I was parent to a teenager, the idea of taking personal responsibility for your own actions was very keenly important to me. Uh, so, various topics. I know you are a prolific author who's written many books, but let's go back to the beginning, John. At what moment in your life did you get the itch to be a published author, and what was the first thing you did to scratch that itch? Uh, I'm, I'm not one of those people who started telling stories at age five, so I can fairly clearly remember this uh, I didn't realize I wanted to be a writer until I was already partway through college. Uh, and when I occasionally would put down a great book, I would feel a little adrenaline rush, you know, kind of a hotness in the back of my neck uh, that just the ending was so satisfying that I, I really got uh, a wonderful feeling from uh, not only the entire book, but especially the ending. And once in a while, after I got that terrific feeling, I'd uh, I'd say, "Wow, I, I wish I could do that." And uh, uh, oddly enough, well, maybe not oddly enough, uh, I sometimes got the feeling that I wanted to do, you know, something like that for readers when I was listening to music. And sometimes, you know, I'm not a big church goer, but you know, some I. Sometimes near the end of a sermon in church, I would get that a similar feeling. That, you know, I want to, I want to do something, and then I uh, immediately set out and did nothing for ten years. You know, I I thought about being a writer. I daydreamed about being a writer, and I kept looking for two or three free hours at a time to do something about it. And finally, uh, in the late seventies, I said to myself, Well, you know if. If you want to be a writer, you're going to have to start writing at some point. And so I made it part of my schedule early in the morning to spend 15 minutes every day just doing something, writing. And quickly that time grew, but you know, making it a habit was what turned the corner for me. You know, the field of publishing is constantly shape-shifting. Publishing has evolved so much in the past five, ten, two years. Um, John, how was your first book published? Did you go through an agent and got published the traditional way, or did you go independent? I went the traditional way. I had a few short stories published at that point, and I uh, had a complete novel, and I sent it to... The Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America have a directory for available to members that lists every member and that, that member's agent. And so I went through that list looking for people who had been around long enough that if they weren't happy with their agent, they could have fired the agent. And so I put together a list, and the first person on my list was not taking on new clients, I think. And the second person on my list said he'd be willing to read uh, the novel. And uh, before too long came back and said uh, he'd be willing to try to sell it. 
and so I got to work on the on the second novel. And about a year later, I was at the photocopy office uh, making a copy. This is the old days, <laughs> making a copy to send to, to uh, the agent in hopes that even though the first one hadn't sold yet, he'd be willing to, to read the second one and, and see what he thought. And while I was at the photocopy office, I got a call saying that my wife at home had just gotten a call from my agent saying he just sold the first book. book. Wow. So that was wonderful. <laughs> so then he sold it to whom? I mean, who actually published that book? Susan Allison was the editor at Ace Books, uh, so she she published my first one. She published my first five, it turns out. So many writers, including myself, in the beginning, look to hone their craft by taking advanced courses in creative writing and or joining various writers' workshops. Did you? I did. Uh, my primary focus was workshops. I, uh, around the time I was, oh, maybe halfway done with my, with that first novel, I found a, uh, a local uh, writing workshop, and I was, uh, I found myself in the company of, of a number of really talented people who, genuinely wanted everyone in the group to succeed. You know, I think right. the wrong writing group is worse than none at all. But but I was very lucky. Uh, some of those people have gone on to uh, to a lot of to do a lot of interesting things. So. You say the uh, wrong writing group is worse than none at all. What do you mean? I mean that if you're in a group of people who are feeling competitive, like there's it's a zero sum game, and if if you get published, maybe they won't because that's you know a slot right, that's right. no longer available. Uh, then, then there can be a, a dynamic at work that undermines your your resolve, that makes you question all your decisions. Uh, if right. you've got people who are just generally negative, you know, or or not really thinking much about the craft, you know, th those people don't help. Family in general, you know, is not a big help because they they love you. They they're fairly uncritical. But, but a group of people who look at what you write and tell you what works and what doesn't and why, that's extremely helpful. So okay, you you got your first book off the ground and published by Ace, as you say. What type of feedback? did you receive from the people who read your first book? How did your readers react to the plot and also your writing style that early in your career? Uh, early on, I didn't get a lot of feedback, but at one signing for uh, either my second or third book, one, uh, one parent came in and told me that his son read Scapescope through cover to cover, and that was the first book he'd ever finished. Uh, and, and I know that's not because it, you know, it's that much better than anything else. But the fact that my interests and that reader's interests were uh, aligned to the point that that he enjoyed the book, uh, that that felt wonderful. I I love 
getting kids re- hooked on reading. <laughs> I I just you know reading does so much for you. Uh, it it besides the pleasure that you get out of reading, it does things like help build empathy for other people because you you see what other people feel like when they're hurt. You know it, it's uh, it, it's wonderful. <laughs> You're right. Um, John, what is it about your genre, the science fiction genre, that draws in so many authors and readers who love it? I mean, we can go back to H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. Why is sci-fi so timeless? I think escapism is a component there, but I I also think that there are people who are interested in, uh, in the future and what you know what challenges we may face upcoming, and it's. It, I don't know that science fiction's job is is to literally predict uh, the future, but it lets us try things out. It lets us uh, test various scenarios and see what might work. And for instance, Orwell's 1984 was a wonderful cautionary tale. Not that he necessarily thought. That would happen to us, uh, and it may be, <laughs> you know, this, uh, but uh, but I think he helped us avoid a future that was um, more full with of of those things than than we currently are. For now, I am curious. What do you say? For now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> John, I am curious to know how you go about the process of bringing your books to creation. How long does it usually take you to write a novel? And what exactly do you do after the first draft is completed? What happens next? It normally takes me at least a year, sometimes as much as a couple years, to finish a novel. I try to let the first draft sit for maybe a month while I think of ideas for whatever I want to do next. Okay. But right. and then I start at it uh with I hope a bit of a fresh eye. You know, I try to get some of those chapters workshopped and then uh, you know start on draft 2. And each successive draft is normally less effort than the previous one. But I, I often go, go through seven or eight or nine drafts. John, you have graciously agreed to read from your book for us. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Sure. Uh, what I plan is an excerpt from Chapter 2 of Manhattan Transfer. In Chapter okay. 1, the entire island of Manhattan has just been sliced loose from the surface of the earth, put under a dome, and placed aboard a gigantic spaceship. Matt and some other of our characters are just coming up from the subway at the start of this excerpt. Great. Okay. Matt and the others reach the stairs to the street without finding any lighting other than the occasional emergency lamps. From the distance came the sounds of crying and a mass of mumbling people. Matt watched his footing carefully and kept checking on the injured man. 
ground level, they move past some of the people cowering near the wall. Instead of the daylight Matt had expected, he found night. Suspended over Manhattan was a reflected image of a darkened city, lit only by the headlights of buses, cabs, trucks, and cars, stalled and abandoned in the gridlocked streets. The sidewalks were lined with people in clumps, staring up at the distorted reflections. Here and there, a person lay flat on the ground. Someone, maybe half a block away, wailed steadily. One of the men in the foursome wobbled a bit, then recovered. Down the block was an ambulance caught in the traffic snarl. They threaded their way through the people on the sidewalk and street. When they reached an open area and walked faster, Matt almost lost his footing. The pavement seemed too smooth, no doubt thanks to the low gravity. The ambulance attendants stood on the pavement next to their vehicle, both looking up at the sky. Got someone who needs your attention, Matt said to the driver. It took a moment for the driver to focus on Matt and react to what he was saying, but after a few seconds his training must have taken over, and he and the other attendants started to put the man with no hand onto a stretcher. Matt got back to the curb just as a bright light came on in the sky to the west of the city. A round spot the size of the sun penetrated the reflected images above the skyline and began to grow brighter. A hush fell over the people on the sidewalks and in the street. The sun grew brighter and brighter until it hurt to look at it, and the city streets lightened until they were as bright as day. When the sun reached what seemed to be its maximum intensity, the dome started losing its reflectivity, and in stages began to grow transparent. Matt moved a few steps so he could see better to the east. The first thing he realized was that although his memory told him the Brooklyn Bridge should all that showed was a stub of the bridge. The dome continued to increase in transparency and Matt felt his mouth go dry. He could see through the dome, and what he saw didn't bear any resemblance at all to Brooklyn. Instead, the island of Manhattan rested on a vast gray plain. In the distance was another dome sitting on the plain, and to its left, another. Slightly farther away than the pair was yet another dome. Matt shifted position again as the crowd came to life with screams and loud voices. He could see two more domes in the distance. Beneath the other domes were what seemed to be other cities, one a jumble of prismatic arches, another what looked like one enormous building, another a mass of needle-thin spires with halos near the top and even someone much less well-traveled than Matt would have instantly known these cities had never existed on Earth. That's the end of the excerpt. Wow, how exciting. Thank I you. mean, I was right there with you, right there with you. Very, very Thank exciting, you. very captivating. Uh, John, yeah. has your writing style at any time been compared to other popular authors? And if so, how did you feel about the comparison? 
Um, I've, yeah, I've I've had some comparisons to uh, luminaries like uh, like Clark uh, that that felt really good. Uh, I'm not uh, recognized, I, I don't think, as a stylist uh, per se, but I do think I've developed some talent for taking really wacky, fairly unbelievable situations and and treating them uh, logically and uh, well, logically enough that they seem believable for a while. Let's talk about John E. Stiff, the person. Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? I was born in Boulder, Colorado, but by uh, the first grade, by the end of the first grade, we had moved uh, southern New Mexico, where my dad uh, had a a job at Holloman Air Force Base and White Sands Missile Range. So we moved to Alamogordo, a town town of about 20,000, and uh, my dad got to work on things like the rocket sled and some of the early rockets, and he worked up at Kitt Peak and and uh, Zach Peak uh, observatories. So it was a real uh, science-based community. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth, John? Uh, I enjoyed a lot of the the kids' books at first, you know, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Rick Brandt, uh, Tom Swift. Uh, But I remember one day I was homesick, and my mom brought me a book from the library. She brought me Citizen of the Galaxy by Robert Heinlein. And what a wonderful book. And I was I was pretty soon hooked on uh, young adult science fiction and then adult science fiction. Uh, fortunately, right. in that community, we had a wonderful public library with a great science fiction section. So, so I was set for several years. So, one of the biggest highlights for you, I'm I'm presuming, John, was Reanimus Press re-releasing nine of your book titles. Take us through the process of how this all came about and what is the time frame for all this to be done? Okay. Uh, Several of my, uh, many of my books have been in print at various times since they were uh, first published. But uh, my prior publisher uh, had not, had gotten so overloaded with uh, a number of ancillary issues that they hadn't been able to get all the books back in print. And about, uh, I'm thinking, a little over a year ago now, I was at a convention and ran into Andrew Burt, who runs Reanimous Press. And we were just talking about the industry, and I, I talked about the fact that, uh, you know, I was still waiting for, for some of these books to be back in print. And he said, you know what, I would love to take on your your list. And my contract at the prior publisher had uh, run its course. We were in the, the right. anyone can cancel free now stage. And so I said, uh, uh, you're on. And he started uh, in Ju- on July 1st with a book called Deep Quarry. And he's releasing books roughly every 45 days. You know, there's 
there have been some adjustments to that schedule for for vacations and, and holiday breaks and so on. But uh, 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 in December, uh, December 15th, Memory Blank was released, making that the fifth of the titles that that Reanimus has re-released, and there will be uh, four more in the coming year. So by, wow, by the middle, so cool. Yeah, so by the middle of June, I'll be back in print with everything that had been in print. Awesome, uh, John. I know you also write short stories. Why are writing shorties so rewarding for you? Why do you like this particular genre? Well, uh, in science fiction, there's still a fairly healthy market for short short fiction, which is great, and it lets you experiment. Uh, it lets you make take bigger risks with the idea that, uh, worst case, you're throwing away a month or two rather than uh, you know a year or two. Right. And short stories are ways to uh, good ways to pick up new readers who are necessarily spotting your your longer work. Let's talk about what I call the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is marketing. So many authors spend so much time writing and publishing their book but have no clue on how and what it entails to market it. How do you, John, handle the publicizing and marketing of your books? Well, I do some of the, the things that have become common in the last decade. You know, I have a Facebook page. I have a website. Uh, I... Uh, for this re-release schedule, I'm embarked on a on a blog tour, which is uh, uh, much less stressful than the old-fashioned physical bookstore tours. Uh, and I'm doing interviews like this, uh, just having a good time, mostly from my home, which is attractive to me as I'm uh, on the introverted side. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to craft. Um, because this is a show on writing. Um, let's talk about the journey of writing a story. After you become inspired by the first what if, do you start with a conceptual outline, John, and then branch, or do you just go where the germination thoughts take you? I have always been an outliner, except for extremely short work. Uh, I just like the idea that I kind of know where I'm heading. That, that right. it's it's like I know I want to drive from Colorado Springs to Denver, but I, I don't really know when I start out whether I'm going to have a flat or run into an abusive hitchhiker or you know the weather is going to close the road and I'll have to detour to to Kansas or you know there are a lot of unknowns. But but I really like having a sense of of where I'm heading and where I want to end up. So that I can, uh, you know, a lot of my books contain mystery components as well as the science fiction, and I want the reader to be able to uh, feel I've played fair and and I've dropped clues that you know let the reader know ahead of time where uh, to what to anticipate. And uh, ideally, if if I get to some big revelation, the the reader will get to that same revelation just before. I do on the page, but uh, yeah, that's you don't always get that right balance for every reader. But. Right. And yeah, what I about can. research? 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, in my case, I was going to just say that I I had before I started my first story, I really had to back up. I did not care for English in school. I, I didn't like writing about what other people wanted me to write. So uh, right. at least school gave me the tools that I could uh, self-educate. And so I, I had to go crash course in, in grammar and, and word usage and so on. Uh, Interesting. But your your question was on Oh, my next question was going to be about about research. Um, uh, right. How much research do you do for your books? I always pick, seem to pick topics that I need to do a lot of research for. Not not because right. I enjoy research per se, but I just uh, <laughs> that's the way it works out. For a Manhattan transfer, I, I had been there a couple times. Been in Manhattan a couple times, and I went back for a, a refresher trip. But I also you know, it's nice that that city is so well documented, you know, from things like the, uh, the aqueducts to the subways. Uh, and so uh, for Redshift Rendezvous, a novel that fig- uh, in which relativity figures in very heavily, I had to do a, a boatload of research about relativity because I had, you know, surface right. familiarity from school, but, but I needed a lot more for the book. Uh, enough that, that that book's on the harder end end of the science fiction spectrum, and it's probably not the best introduction to my work for the average reader. Uh, some people are just not going to uh, find that speaks to them the way it does to some. Books like Manhattan Transfer, I think, are much more accessible to the reader who doesn't read a lot of science fiction. In closing, if a young writer looking to publish his first story came to you for advice, John, what would be the first thing you would say to him? Uh, In today's climate, I would say uh, make sure you're ready to publish before you publish. Uh, And by that, I mean uh, in the old days, you know, if you wanted to go the vanity press route, you could pay for your your work to be published and virtually no one would see it. Uh, nowadays, uh, it's very, you know, you can sign up with an account for Amazon and you can be published in a day. Uh, but if if you're not ready to do that, you know, if you haven't paid attention to how to uh, construct sentences, how to build characters, how to uh, uh, complete a satisfying uh, climax to a book, uh, you run the risk of putting having a number of readers who, will put you on their do not buy list. And so I, I would say be ready, you know, work on your craft. Just because it's right. easier to get your book in print, don't do not do that before you're really ready. Great advice, John. So what's next for John E. Stiff? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up, John? I have a mystery suspense novel that needs another major draft that I should do in the spring. I've got uh, a graphic novel underway, and I'm uh, in the process of getting some of my older work to uh, audiobook form. So it's going to be a, a Do you year. see? Yes. 
Yes, it sounds like it. Do you see yourself stepping out of your comfort zone and writing in another genre, such as romance or uh, detective? Yeah, the, this uh, this book that I mentioned that I need a, another draft for is a psychological suspense novel. I really enjoy you know, Harlan Coben and Linwood Barclay and a number of other writers in the field. And, and most of my pleasure reading has been uh, mystery suspense for quite a while. And so I'm right. going to give that a try. Great, great. Can't wait to uh, to see it. So, John, give us any contact information if people want to get a hold of you, follow you, uh, your website. Okay. Give, give out any contact contact information you'd like. Okay, thanks. Uh, my web, website is neverend.com. If you Google me, you should be able to find that site, and it lists links to other places. Like I have a, a Facebook public page and a Facebook uh, personal page that basically anyone's willing to uh, able to be friends. I the, the personal page includes more things like backyard raccoon pictures uh, than. Uh, <laughs> but the, the news items are always on the website and my professional page. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and and uh, several other social media sites. This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download my short story called My Baby Has No Name from Smashwords.com. My guest has been the prolific author, John E. Stitt. Make sure you visit his website, neverend.com, and feast your mind. Thank you so much, John, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you. It was my pleasure. It was wonderful. Have a great evening, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks. Come out.